Welcome to episode number 45, Suicide, part two, and this is a bonus episode. Now, suicide can be and often is a difficult topic to discuss, and that is especially true for those of us who have come face to face with it. This last week, I had an especially difficult week of pain. Now, for those who don't know from my previous podcasts, I deal with three autoimmune issues that have a tendency to cause serious chronic pain on a regular basis. So daily pain for me is not a matter of if I will be in pain, but just how intense that pain is going to be. Now, I've dealt with the issue for about the last 10 years, but more recently, it's actually become a little more advanced. This last week was especially difficult. I have been mobility limited for the last three to four years. Now, this doesn't mean that I can't walk or I need a walker or I can't perform normal functions, but for me, it means that hiking, running, playing sports, or even a moderate workout are really out of the question. I know that if I'm going to participate in these activities, I'm going to have to set aside a few days for rest and recovery and some fairly serious levels of pain. Now, the only good thing about my illness is that it hasn't come upon me all at once. It has progressed over time to where I am currently operating in my life. I still have the ability to work, just not at a job that requires significant physical labor. Now, this last week being one of those weeks where the pain was elevated, my life has been more stressful than normal. Depression set into my body more than I would normally experience it, and then it happened. After a particularly bad few days of feeling as if someone someone once said, like you have mono and got hit by a semi-truck, the thought entered my mind, wouldn't I be better off without this body? I'm not sure that I can continue to do this anymore. Those suicidal thoughts entered my mind. Now, it has been some time since I last felt them, as I did this week. They come in waves when the pain and the future collide to form a more perfect storm of discouragement for me. I didn't allow the thoughts to linger for too long this week, and certainly they were a passing moment in a difficult week. But they stirred in me a reminder of how easily those feelings and thoughts come when our lives are under great compressing stress and our illnesses, whatever they might be, cause us to consider if life is really worth living. This week was not the first time these feelings have come upon me. As my illness has progressed and my pains increased, my depression at times has worsened, and those thoughts come rushing back almost as if they were just waiting in the wings of my mental stage for that right moment. For me, suicide's not a real option. Just passing thoughts that linger when things get tough to handle. I have no intent. I I haven't made any plans. I'm not despondent. I have great support family and a network that loves me. So those passing thoughts this week were really just a reminder for me that Many are dealing with similar issues in their lives. I read an article this week that the pandemic, our changes in habits, socialization, changes of work, loss of job, stress about finances, increases in substance abuse, and so forth, have caused a serious uptick in suicide and suicide attempts. Now, I firmly believe that far more people than we know deal with thoughts of suicide on a regular basis. I personally would say that probably about one in five people that you meet have at least thought about it, and that number would be significantly greater right now during the isolation and elevated stress levels. Life for many right now does not seem to be worth living. It is difficult to see future happiness when your current situation doesn't ring of hope or even a glimmer of peace in your life. My life is actually very good in many ways. I have a good job, wonderful people around me, I have a supportive family, I have wonderful, great children. In many ways, I'm sure that a good number of people would be very willing to switch lives with me, even if that meant they had to deal with my pain. And yet, 
Even with all of the good in my life, those thoughts still entered my mind. So just because someone appears outwardly to have a wonderful life full of light breezes and sunny beach days, doesn't mean that a hurricane isn't churning inside. You cannot always tell what is happening with someone on the inside. Often when someone attempts suicide or commits suicide, those around them are in shock. And many times you hear the words, I didn't even know that he or she had any problems. She seemed happy, full of life. Doesn't make any sense to me. Why? I think that when most of us ponder suicide in the sense of one's one of our friends or family, we expect some type of outward rational sign that something is terribly amiss in their lives. The truth is, most of us are not likely to see it. That includes someone like me who has seriously considered it an option way back in my past. There is no outward, obvious, universal sign that someone is about to commit suicide. Point of fact, individuals who decide to commit suicide and have made plans often become more at peace and happier just before it happens. And they may often conceal the suicide so that no one attempts to stop them. Now, this might sound strange to someone who has never really felt suicide. When you are in such distress that you mentally overcome your survival instinct and decide to move forward, a type of peace comes over the body. Now, I don't consider this to be like the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe that it comes as a a result of the body seeing some type of hope, which by definition in this case is the end of the suffering. The body can see an end to the pain, suffering, misery, and every other problem, and just being able to see that small light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, is actually what causes this feeling of peace to come over the body. Now, of course, the solution causes far more problems than it solves. But I have never considered suicide really a selfish act. I'm sure there are cases where you might be able to deduce that someone committed suicide out of spite or simply to cause others pain, but I believe it to be exceptionally rare. Many times those who commit suicide decide to do so to end their suffering and often the suffering of those around them. Many believe that they are of little value to society, family, church, peers, or even the world as a whole. They truly feel that the world would be better off without them, that there would be less suffering without them. The answer, of course, is that what they are feeling and thinking isn't true, but it doesn't change their reality. What they feel and think is who they are, and it is as much much their reality as what we feel and think. Now, the world is a difficult place to find your bearings. It is certainly difficult enough without a mental illness or a painful chronic disease, Finding your place in this world can feel hopeless, defeating, lost in darkness, and the list of descriptions goes on. The problem with seeing yourself through the eyes of the world is that everything for the world is temporary. If you have fame and fortune, then it is likely to be fleeting. This means that to obtain and maintain anything in this world, you will have to seek for it diligently, despite other good things, and you're going to have to do so often. Now, whether you desire to be popular, rich, powerful, beautiful, uh, your moment in the sun is going to be no more than really a few seconds in the light. And then the winds of society are going to move on to something new and more interesting. And you're going to be left to chase your fortune all over again. And this creates in most people a level of insecurity and a loss of identity, which leads to all types of other serious issues, including addictions, induced mental illness, 
and a variety of real and social anxieties. Now, the sources of suicide are actually far too many to mention, and it is fairly easy to see that there are a variety of sources when you consider the various signs of someone who might be about to commit suicide. Now, here's the list from WebMD, and you can find similar, although not identical, lists on various medical websites. Uh, The first on the list is excessive sadness or moodiness, long-lasting sadness, mood swings, and unexpected rage. The second is hopelessness, feeling a deep sense of hopelessness about the future with little expectation that circumstances can improve. The next, a sudden calmness, suddenly becoming calm after a period of depression or serious moodiness can be a sign that the person has made a decision to end his or her life, although that is not always the case. Uh, The next symptom is withdrawal, choosing to be alone and avoiding friends or social activities. They are also possible symptoms of a depression, which is a leading cause of suicide. Now, this includes the loss of interest and pleasure activities the person once enjoyed. Uh, The next is changes in personality and or appearance. A person who is considering suicide might exhibit change in attitude or behavior, such as speaking or moving with unusual speed or slowness. In addition, the person might suddenly become less concerned about his or her personal appearance. The next signal is dangerous or self-harm behavior, potentially dangerous behavior, such as reckless driving, engaging in unsafe sexual activities, increase the use of drugs or alcohol, might actually indicate that the person no longer values their life. A recent trauma or midlife crisis or a crisis. A major life crisis might trigger a suicide attempt. Crises include death of a loved one or even a pet, divorce, breakup of a relationship, diagnosis of a mental or a major illness, loss of a job, serious financial problems. And next on the list is making preparations. Often a person considering suicide will begin to put his or her personal business in order. Now, that can include a variety of things like visiting friends, family members, giving away personal possessions, making a will, even cleaning up their room. Now, some people will write a note before committing suicide, and others actually won't. Now, the final note here is, uh, the final symptom is a threatening or talking about suicide. And now, from 50 to 75% of those considering suicide will give someone, friend or relative, a trusted relationship, a warning sign. However, that is not always true all the time either. Not everyone is who is considering suicide will even say so. And not everyone who threatens to do it will even follow through with it. So you should, well, we should treat every threat seriously. Now, if you consider all the signs of suicide that I just mentioned, and then apply these signs to any number of people you are likely to come in contact with, those signs would include almost everyone who would have at least one or more of the symptoms. Now, especially during this lockdown pandemic, there are also other people who will exhibit no outward signs of suicide. They will mask their emotions and the outward signs. It is most often after the suicide that even remote possible signs can be recognized. But generally, the problem is that there's nothing definitive that's going to stick out. Generally, it takes a close friendship or relationship for someone to begin to really see the signs. But even then, a close family member or friend may miss or may not notice anything significantly different that would have caused the issue. Now, I know that I sound like suicide just can't be stopped. It's just too complex. We are helpless to it. The answer is really not that simple or that difficult. Many suicides actually can be stopped, arrested, 
and some help provided. Also note that many people will reach out when they're in trouble to attempt to find help. They may not come out directly and say, I'm thinking about suicide and I need help. In fact, point of fact, I've never heard anyone actually say those words. They are more likely to talk about their problems and how they feel. They will talk about death more, feelings of despair, pain, suffering, um, embarrassments, and a variety of what we might call darker subjects. Uh, if the person is male, then the signs are more likely to be outward changes both in behavior and material things. And men certainly talk, but not in the same ways as women. You might see changes in anger, moodiness, withdrawal, other types of actions that would indicate that there are emotions bubbling under the surface. Women will be more likely to talk, but even that isn't the case. They can exhibit a variety of the symptoms discussed. What you will find is that science can generally provide for what symptoms might occur in someone, but emotions and thoughts leading to suicide are going to be very individual and attuned to the personal patterns and habits of living, their methods of communication, and dealing with life issues. The best indicator of suicide is a discussion with someone who you think might be having issues. Discussing suicide is something of a taboo for some reason, and I found this even more taboo within the church. I think intuitively, we believe that if we discuss it, we are going to cause it to occur. This is, that is actually far from the truth and has been proven incorrect. One of the best ways to avoid a suicide is actually to discuss it with someone you are concerned about. Now, you're going to have to have some type of trusted relationship to really get any solid answers. But even a discussion where the other person really doesn't appear to be engaged can be of great value to them. It is important to remember that discussing suicide with someone is not going to cause a suicide, but not discussing it with them might actually allow it to occur. Now, how should you go about this discussion? Again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. And it really depends upon the person and your relationship to them. But there are some important things to include in this discussion. You should discuss the changes and what you have noticed in the other person. You should definitely express your concern and your love for them. Express that you want to help. Ask about their feelings and emotions over the last several weeks or months. And allow them to express whatever they desire. If part of the problem is sin and they express something they have done or thought about doing, only love should be expressed and gratefulness that they were willing to talk. You should ask directly about thoughts of suicide. Most people, depending upon their relationship, will not divulge this information. Even a long pause might indicate a problem. As I have said previously, far more people than you think, than you would think, have thought about suicide. There should be no judgment if someone has thought about it, planned it, or even attempted it. It is not uncommon to have suicidal feelings and thoughts. It is important that you let them know this. What they are feeling is not uncommon. And many people suffer with similar concerns and issues. What you want them to feel is that no matter what they tell you, you aren't going to be disappointed in them or punish them or make them feel worse than they already do. They should walk away as though a burden has been lifted. Has been lifted. Now, one conversation is also not likely going to be enough. And because few of us really understand how to help the brain retrain itself, if you can see an issue needs to be fixed or resolved, then you should probably suggest some professional help. Now, as I have lived 
my life within the boundaries of the church, I have discussed this topic on a few occasions with members who have had issues with suicide, and of course, many who have never had any issues. And I think that there are a few misconceptions surrounding religious individuals and suicide. I think the first and major misconception is that religious principles are the key to stopping all suicide. I agree that understanding one's identity as a child of God and the access we possess to divine help is one of the key ingredients to providing identity and a sense of purpose. Identity and purpose will do its part in helping individuals to see value in their lives and meaning in the suffering. However, this does require the development of faith and experience in religious values and principles. Just because we're taught these principles does not necessarily mean that we're going to gain the necessary experiential faith to avoid suicide and other issues. As I have discussed in the past, just because you have a mature faith does not mean that mental illness will not also diminish your vision. In a moment of despair, the unthinkable happens. Being a member of the church can go a long way to aid in one's spiritual identity, but it also can provide some unwanted peer pressure that may add to rather than detract from the pressures of the world. Now, as members of the church, we often want so badly for others to really feel the happiness and be successful that we oftentimes create an atmosphere of emotional peer pressure to be seen as worthy members. I call it personally the worthy member syndrome but it has often alienated those who do not feel included or even worthy. Now, what is this worthy member syndrome? It's that social pressure to look and be perfect when we are around other church members. We need to be happily married with six or seven children, holding a serious calling, working in a community and going to the temple regularly, along with all of the other meetings and service opportunities that we're given. The truth is that many members of the church really do not have all of those things needed to be included. They could be single, they could be divorced, unable to have children, unable to serve a mission, addicted, socially awkward, have a mental illness, have tendencies towards same-sex attraction, and sometimes simply just don't fit into the perfect model of membership. When they do not fit into this mold, religion or religious principles can actually become, or this religious social network is probably better, can actually become more of a burden than a place of support. They can feel as though the Lord, through his people, doesn't really care for them, simply because their lives do not fit into the ward or stake social network, or even religious principles being taught. When you don't find identity within the networks of the church, then you're going to seek for them elsewhere. More often than not, those other networks do not provide any real measure of identity or support, even though they market themselves as the place to be. Even if they provide some of this measure of support or value for a time, the value and support is going to eventually fade. And then they are often left to themselves. And that is not the place to be when you're having concerns with suicide. There are so many other important things to discuss about suicide that I haven't even mentioned in today's episode. Some of them you can actually get in episode four. There are a variety of resources within the church, website, and other medical sites where you can find so much more about this topic and how to discuss it. What I most want to say today is that if you are having issues or concerns, talk with someone. If you're worried about what they might say to you, have them listen to this podcast and podcast number four of the same collection, and then ask to talk to them 
if you are still worried, if you don't have anyone to talk to, you feel alone, you don't know what to do, and you feel like taking your life, then you can even email me, and I will read it and listen and write you back. Now, I have been where you are, and I understand. And you could do so anonymously. I just used the email located on the main page of this podcast, which is dtsocha at gmail.com. Now, I'm not a therapist or a psychologist, so understand that what you get from me is experience and understanding. But I will be there. Now, may the Lord be with you. And as always, remember that the Lord requires the fight, no matter how small. And then he can come to your rescue. Till next time.